Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So there's something about memes that put into weird pictorial representations of things that we already think in our minds sometimes. You know the one with this, like the clingy girlfriend? The one that's like, like that? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, maybe not. There are like some classic memes that when we, when we, they put into our, our, they put into a picture what we think in our minds, right? But have you ever met a Christian who it seems like they, they claim to be Christian, but on, they claim to be Christian on the inside, but on the outside, the way that they act and the way that they live is nowhere near anything like what you would imagine a Christian to be. We have a name for those kind of people, right? Oh, I heard poser. I was thinking a hypocrite. But either of those would be, <laughs> either of those would be true, right? Um, poser, hypocrite. Um, but what we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. You can start turning there. Um, is, and I don't know if it's sacrilegious to say this or not, so correct me if I shouldn't say this. We're going to be talking about b- being baptized tonight. And how, in a way, this is not a perfect illustration, baptism is kind of a meme of what God has done in your life, how God has saved you. Because baptism is an outward expression, an outward expression of an inward experience that you had with Jesus. And I wanna, like, not maybe warn you, but I just kinda wanna give this, like, disclaimer before we dive into Romans 6, is if you have been baptized tonight, not baptized tonight, but if you're here tonight and you've been baptized before. Um, I don't want you to just check out because we're not just going to, the point of this lesson is not just that you need to be baptized. You know, you need to go to church and get wet. Like that's not the point of the lesson tonight. The point of the lesson tonight is that baptism is just one of the ways in which our lives should be an outward, right? See it on the screen? Our lives should be an outward expression of an inward experience that we've had with Jesus. So if you have your your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 6. And some of you, when I said Romans, you're like, ooh, you're you're one of those, like, I call them Theo bros. And you're just always wanting to, like, talk theology, and that's awesome. And Romans is, like, maybe the theological book. Like, it's full of, like, all kinds of interesting things to discuss and sometimes even debate because it's probably the most detailed account of what it means to be saved is in Romans. And we're in chapter 6 because it's interesting if you go through the book of Romans, some of you are going to want to maybe write this down or think about this, that the first three chapters of Romans tell us about sin (laughs) and how bad it is and how everybody's got it. (laughs) Ain't nobody in here whose poop don't stink, right? Everybody has sinned. Then chapters 3 through 5 move from sin to salvation, how we can be made right with God positionally. And starting in chapter 6, the book of Romans talked about, now this is a big word, but we'll explain it, talks about sanctification, how now that we've been saved and we've been made positionally right with God, we can live practically who we are in Christ. So we're going to read in Romans chapter 6, and the verses are on the screens here, because we're going to be talking about how our lifestyle as Christians should be an outward expression of the inward experience that we've had with Jesus. So let's read in Romans chapter 6. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we were united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Let therefore sin not reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions, nor present your members. Hey guys, we're up here. We're reading from God's word, okay? Thank you. Let not therefore sin raise in your mortal bodies to make it obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under the law, but under grace. That's a long passage, isn't it? Took me a while to read it. So before we dive into what this part of the Bible says, let's pray together. Uh, Father, I pray that you'll bless just as your word has been read. And now as we talk about it, um, God, that you'll bring to our our minds and you'll work into our hearts what you have for us tonight, your truth. Um, God, I pray that we'll dig deep into who we are and ask ourselves serious questions about whether we're saved, whether we're following you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got some sets of words tonight. I've got I words and I've got F words. And we're going to start with the I words. If you've read through this section of verses before, you may have been a little confused like I was. It's one of those, uh, it, this was written um, obviously by God, but he, he penned it through the apostle Paul, who was a really smart guy. And sometimes when I read writings of somebody who's a lot smarter than me, I'm just like, uh, you know, you ever read part of the Bible and you're just like, what did I just read? And I'll be honest, when I started studying this to, to give the lesson on it tonight, I was like, what did I just read? I probably, I'm not joking, probably read it 50 to 60 times, just over and over to try to get a grip and understand what was going on here. So I've kind of arranged our, our points into four I words tonight when we're talking about an outward expression of our inward experience. And the first I word that we're going to look at is the information, We're going to look at the information that's in this section of of God's word here. And the first piece of information we see is that it starts with a question. It says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, first, what is sin? What is sin? What is it talking about continuing in sin? Sin, we've talked about it before. Sin is, it, it breaks God's law. It assaults his character. It misses God's mark of perfection. Sin is against God. Anything we do or think, that's against God. And the first three chapters of Romans outline what sin is and how because all of us have sinned, all of us are destined for an eternal hell unless we are saved by God. Chapters three through five tell us how we're saved. And here is probably the the most crucial part. If, you're, if you have your Bible open, just flip back one chapter to chapter five and it tells us how we are saved. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace that we stand. So this problem of sin is solved one way. It's by the death Jesus died on the cross and it's by the faith that we place in Jesus. It's by our faith in Jesus that we're saved. And how much does God save us? To what degree does God save us? We spent the past three weeks talking about it, but it's summed up probably in verse 20 of chapter five. It says this, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. I don't know if you're picking up what God's putting down here, but what it tells us is it's actually a pretty wild, incredible thing. It reminds me a lot of the song that we just sang is that you can't out God's grace. When you put your faith in Jesus, are you gonna live a perfect life? Absolutely not. Are you gonna sin? It's the reality. But here's the thing that's just incredible to think about is that you can't out God's grace. There's no way that you can do it. For every sin that you commit, that sin was nailed to a cross with Jesus. That's why it says, where sin increased, grace increased more. But there were some people that were thinking what maybe some of you are thinking. Well, if every time I sin, God's grace increases more, maybe I should just like keep on sinning. Just keep on disobeying God, keep on living the way I wanna live because that would allow more of God's grace into the world, right? Like that's the way that we rationalize things sometimes and that's the way that these Romans were rationalizing it. So in verse one of chapter six, Paul says, what then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, heaven forbid, by no means should I keep on sinning. That word for continue in sin it's the Greek word epimeno. You may have heard of that word meno. It's in John chapter 17. Jesus says it like 50 bajillion times to his disciples. He says, abide in me. You can't bear fruit if you don't abide in me. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Like live your lifestyle through me and about me. And it says here, are we to continue in sin? Are we to like live in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Why? It says, how can we who died to sin still live in it. I don't read this version of the Bible. It's really not a version of the Bible. It's a paraphrase of the Bible. I don't read it often. But um, the message really, I believe, summed up this thought really well. I put it on the screen here. This is what it says about this passage. It says, so what do we do? Do we keep on sinning? So God keeps on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Didn't you realize that you packed up and left there for good? You see what he's talking about? He's talking about Christians who have died to sin, who have been saved, but they're still living this old, dead life. And he says, should we continue living that way? No way. Why? Here's the information. Because you died to sin. What does it mean that we died with Christ to our sin? We see in verse five that we died to our old sinful self. We see in uh, verse 17 of chapter five that we died to the curse of sin. We're no longer cursed by sin. We died to the slavery under sin in verse six. We died to the dominion of sin. So we no longer have to be subject to sin. That's the big truth. That's the big truth is that if you put your faith in Jesus, you no longer have to be controlled by the devil. You no longer have to be controlled by sin. That's the big truth, but it's hard to sink in. So that's why God provided us the next I word, an illustration. 
And that illustration is baptism. Look at verse four, it says, or excuse me, verse three, it says, do you not know that all of us, he's talking to the Christians there, all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried therefore with him by what? By baptism into death in order that just as Christ raised from the dead, the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what, what was he talking about when he was talking about being baptized? What does the Bible say about being baptized? And why is being baptized a picture of who we are now in Jesus? You may have time to write these down. You may need to take a picture of the screen. But here's what we know the Bible says about baptism. Being baptized is something that's commanded by Jesus for people who are saved to do. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says that part of being a disciple is that you are baptized. Um, in, in the book of John, we see that Jesus himself was baptized and he set an example for us. So what, what, what is baptism? It's something that Jesus commands every person who's saved to do. It's not like an optional package. It's not like the Z71 Christian package. Some of you truck guys get that. Chevy guys get that. If you're a Ford guy, you just need to leave the church right now. Um, but anyway, it's not optional. The second thing we learn is that being baptized means being immersed in the water. I want to be careful because I know there are people, maybe you, you have some friends or you know people that are from some other religious traditions where you know, there's baptism that's done by like sprinkling water on people's head or by like taking a cup and like you know, getting kind of like the version of the Gatorade bath only at church, you know, where they you know, pour water over somebody's head. But I just want to show you something from the Bible here. This word, it appears three times in this passage, baptism. It's the Greek word baptizo. And when that word was translated into English, instead of conveying the meaning across, they just kept saying baptize. So we have to assume what it meant. But if you look up the definition of baptizo in other parts of the Bible and in, in Hebrew, uh, Hebrew scriptures, what you learn is the, the word literally means to dip. So maybe a better translation, well, not in West Virginia, because dip means something totally different in West Virginia, but maybe a better translation would be, do you not know all of us who have been dipped into Christ, <laughs> immersed into Christ? It had to do with going all the way under the water and going all the way back up. In John, when we read when Jesus was baptized, it says that when Jesus came up out of the water, Jesus was immersed. So we, real, we realize when, when, he, when the Bible talks about baptism, it's something, something that every Christian is supposed to to do. It means being immersed in the water and brought back up. The next thing that we learn is this was something that happened after salvation. You will find nobody in the Bible who was baptized before they were saved. Baptism always follows salvation. The fourth thing that we, we learn about this is that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Your salvation does not depend on baptism. Think about the thief on the cross who put his faith in Jesus right before he died. Did he have the opportunity to be baptized? We find no evidence that baptism is necessary for salvation. Ephesians actually says the opposite. It says that you weren't saved by works that you've done, but by faith in Christ. So this isn't a matter of you need to be baptized to be saved. It's a matter of you need to be baptized to be obedient. And the final thing is it's for every believer and only believers. So he's talking about this baptism thing, but what's so important? Why, why is it such an important illustration? I'd like to illustrate with one person. Can I have a volunteer? Luke, come on up. You're my perennial volunteer. I love it, man. So just stand right there by my, my table there. Um, 
I'm going to get this little uh, bench here. And I want you to just kind of sit down on this bench, kind of facing the wall there. So I, I, I've, I think I was there when Luke was baptized. Um, I think I remember that. Your dad baptized you, didn't he? Um, um, so what, what happens when I'm, I'm going to baptize you, okay? okay. In air. <laughs> And I'm going, to try, I'm going to try to multitask. I'm going to try to read a couple verses while I'm baptizing Luke, okay? And this is an illustration, obviously. Look at what it talks about in verse, verse number three. It says, do you not know that you've been baptized into Christ when you were baptized into his death? When you're baptized, you trust me, right? I got you. Go under the water and it's symbolizing that you, that you have died in Christ. How long do you think I can hold you here, Luke? I don't know. <laughs> and when you're raised back up out of the water, stay right there. When you're raised back up out of the water, it says that you were raised, when Christ was raised from the dead, that we too might walk in newness of life. That's why when many people baptize, when I baptize, I say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Holy, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Give Luke a hand. He's always such a great volunteer. Do you see the picture that it illustrates, that baptism illustrates. It illustrates a picture that we have died with Christ, that we died to sin with Jesus, and that we've been raised back up to a new life. Another symbolism is that it's like changing jerseys. It's like when you go under, your old jersey is gone, and when you come up, you put on a new jersey. I, I, I almost felt bad showing this picture at a church function. Because I feel like this guy's just, you know, evil incarnate. Tom Brady, I can't stand him. But when Tom Brady left the Patriots, he no longer wore a Patriots jersey. He put on a Bucks jersey. I, re I was uh, recently able to buy my soccer jersey from high school that I played soccer in, got in a lot of trouble in. And, uh, you know, when you put a jersey on, you represent a team. I don't even know if I can still fit into it. it um, when you put a jersey on, you represent a team, right? And one of the reasons that I got in trouble often is because I would do things that didn't represent my school well. And I would get in trouble because I was wearing the jersey of Grace Christian School on my person. And when I would yell at the ref, or when I would throw a punch in a game, I'd get in trouble, right? Because I was representing something. You see, the picture that's, that's painted here is that we were buried with him into his death, and we were raised in new life with him. We have Jesus's jersey on. When you're baptized, it says, you're team Jesus, but it doesn't stop there. So that's the... the that's the illustration. The information, you've died with Christ. The illustration, baptism. Then there are implications. You know what that word means? What are the implications of not studying for a test? You bomb. What are the implications of lying to your parents? Grandma Fanny sees you out where you shouldn't be and tells your parents and you get in trouble, right? Um, there are implications, consequences of doing things. What are the implications of dying with Jesus? We read about here a new life. Verse five, it says that we too might walk in newness of life. What does this new life illustrate? What does this new life talk about? A new relationship with Jesus. You can't see it here, but in light green, I have circled all of the times where it says that we are in Christ and that we are with Christ and that Christ is with us. We are in a new relationship with Jesus. We are in Christ. 
The chapter before, chapter five, talks about how Jesus died on our behalf. Chapter six talks about how Jesus lives on our behalf. Chapter five, Romans, Jesus paid it all. Chapter six of Romans, Jesus deserves my all, right? So we have a new relationship with Jesus. We also have a new relationship with sin. That means I can still commit sin, but I don't have to live in it. That means that maybe I commit sin, but my flesh doesn't call the shots anymore. I like this in verse seven. Um, it says that we might not, no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. And then verse nine, it says, we know that, from, that Christ being raised from the dead um, will never die again and death no longer has dominion over him. We may sin, but we don't have to be controlled by sin. We may still have moments of anger, but we don't have to be controlled by anger. There may be times where things pop up on the screen and we don't get rid of them fast enough, but we don't have to live in addiction to pornography. Are you getting the picture? You don't have to live in the prison of sin because your sin died with Jesus and Jesus died to sin and you can have victory. We also have a new, um, a new life that lasts forever. Um, verse five, it talks about the eternal life we have. We shall certainly be reunited with him in a resurrection like this and in verse 13 it talks about how we have a new story it says that we have been brought from death to life and we get to share that story with others so baptism is just one way of many ways that we take the inward experience that we have and turn it into an outward expression so there's the information. We died with Jesus. There's the illustration, baptism. There's the implication. We have new life with Jesus. And here's, here's our application, which I call the imperatives. You know what an imperative is, right? When your mom's, you, you've learned the four different kinds of sentences at school, right? There's like what? Declarative, exclamatory, interrogative, and imperative, I think. Is that correct? Abby's, Abby, yeah, the, Abby, the elementary teacher's like, you got it. Imperative means it's not optional, it's a command. When your parents say, clean your room, you best clean your room. When your teacher says, do this assignment, you best do this assignment, or you get a zero, right? It's, these are, there are three imperatives. So since you've died to sin, since you've been raised to new life with Jesus, here are three things Jesus says, God says in the Bible, that you should do if you wanna experience this new life and turn them all into F words. Starts in verse 11. It says, so you must also, here's the first imperative, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider, some versions, that I remember the King James, I was a King James boy when I, was, when I was a kid. It said, you must reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus. It was an accounting term. We don't have any accountants in here t tonight, I don't think. Um, but I know we have people who watch Netflix and listen to Spotify, right? How does Spotify divide their music up? They divide it up into different what? You know the, the G word, genres, right? You know how when you go to Netflix and you're going through, you, you go to the comedy section, you go to the thriller section, you go to the sci-fi section, you go to the section that no man should ever go to, the rom-com section, the romantic comedy section. Um, they're identified by different headings. And what this has to do is the different headings in what, you know, the different areas that you place yourself, right? You, um, the conjuring should not be in the rom-com category, right? When Harry Met Sally should not be in the thriller category. I don't even know what that movie is. It's probably a bad movie. Is it a bad movie? I don't know. Anyway, um, what is the heading of your life? 
What is the heading? You're no longer in the sin category. What it says is that you are in the Jesus category. Consider your, wake up in the morning knowing that I am not a slave to sin anymore, is what it's saying. The next thing, the F word is, so the first one is don't forget who you are and whose you are. The next one is fight back when sin entices. Look at verse 12. It says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies. That, 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 that puts the onus, it puts like the responsibility on you, right? It says, do not let sin reign in your body. That word for reign, it's the idea of like exerting influence. So you, sin only has as much control over the life of a believer. If you're a Christian, sin only has as much control as you let it have control. The question is, when you wake up in the morning, are you ready to fight when sin entices? The third F word, it's my favorite one, fork. F-O-R-K, fork. Um, fork over control to God. Look at verse 13. It's a, it's a little lengthy, but it says, do not present your members to sin. Don't present yourself to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, for sin will have no dominion over you. It says that every day, every day, part of experiencing this new life is that we present ourselves to God. That's not like some big morning ritual where you burn incense and you open your blinds and you, 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 you sing a Gregorian chant to God and you, know, you, you, know, you, you wave a bunch of sashes around. What it has to do with is you wake up and as you're, you're sniffing your underwear to see if it's clean and putting it on, as you're putting a hoodie on, you're grabbing a Pop-Tart and going to school, all the way you're saying, God, this is your day. God, I present myself to you. God, I give myself in service to you in this messed up school that I'm going to. God, I give myself to you. I present myself to you. You wanna find victory over your struggle with sin? Present yourself to God every morning of your life. So some of you, maybe you've never been baptized. And you understand maybe this is, this is something God is calling you to do. It's part of obeying God, making that, making that outward expression of the inward experience that God has done in your life. If you need to be baptized and you wanna to talk to me about that, maybe doing it this Sunday or doing it later this month or getting it scheduled or you have questions, please talk to me afterwards. If you don't know that you're saved, if you haven't made it from chapter five to chapter six, you've never put your faith in Jesus do that tonight. I'm not gonna have a big fancy you know, altar call type scenario. Put your faith in Jesus. Believe in him tonight. If you have questions about that, please talk to me. If you're struggling with sin, um, know that we all struggle with sin, but we wanna be here for you. We're doing a series starting next week called Escape Room where we talk about how to practically how to have victory over certain temptations in life. Uh, so let's pray. If you need to talk to me, I'll be right at the back. We'll get out of here. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us together tonight and thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, to not just learn about what, what baptism is, but God, to learn about the new life that you have for us. We don't have to live that old life of sin. We don't have to live the way that we were maybe, that we experienced as we were brought up. We don't have to live uh, the way that we see other people living. You give us the opportunity to live the life that Jesus has for us. You give us the opportunity to follow Jesus and to grow in our holiness, to grow in our, uh, our being set apart or being sanctified to you. And God, I pray for each teenager here that they'll take that, whatever that next step is in becoming more like you and in taking that next step in newness of life. Uh, God, that you'll give them the strength that they need to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.